Welcome to What To Do When, the podcast that you can turn to whenever you want to get unstuck. I'm Kathleen, I'm your host, and I'll be your trusted guide, your coach, and your friend through all of life's trickiest moments. Each episode, myself and guest experts will be tackling the real, raw, and relatable challenges that life tends to throw your way. Together, we're going to be navigating actually how to do the inner work, equipping you with the tools to empower yourself and to create the life that you've always envisioned. So if you've been feeling stuck with something in your life, submit your question via the link in the show notes and we could be diving into your question in the next episode. Let's dive in. Hello, hello my friends. Welcome back to your weekly dose of the What To Do When podcast where we tackle things like what the fuck do we do when we're confused or stuck or specifically today we're going to be tackling the question what to do when you want to be more confident at work so this episode is really for anyone who is struggling with confidence in their workplace and you just you feel like an imposter you're struggling with feeling like you are kind of worthy and knowledgeable and deserving of being there and maybe you feel a little bit unsupported maybe you feel like you just have no idea what you're doing and you don't know how you've ended up here and you're just flailing a little bit and you find yourself not not feeling like you can speak up in meetings feeling worried feeling you know super self-conscious and anxious about getting feedback in your next review this episode is for anyone who's struggling with confidence in the workplace Um, and I'm really really excited because I get to bring on one of my nearest and dearest friends and honestly the person that really got me into coaching she is a huge mentor of mine and has helped me to become the coach and the person that I am today she's fucking phenomenal and fantastic her name is Tash now Tash is an internationally certified leadership and mindset coach she has a bachelor's degree in business management and she has been majoring in human resources and strategic management so over the last 13 years well not the last actually She had a 13-plus year corporate career in HR, and that spanned across the public, private, and membership organizations, and she worked her way up to becoming a people and performance manager before starting her own HR consultancy and then starting her own thriving coaching practice. So Tash is super passionate about working with new and established professionals and emerging leaders, and she has a huge mission to really shake up the world of work with professionals and help them to have more clarity, more confidence, and more energy. She's also a mother to a beautiful, beautiful little toddler, her son, who's amazing. And I just feel honored that she's come on the podcast and that we get to have this conversation. And this one was really cool because I, yeah, got to share my own experience in the corporate world and how challenging I found it. And when I was working in the corporate world, I was super young and really the least confident version of myself I've ever been and work was such a constant struggle for me even though I really tried to put it together on the outside and we talk a lot about my experience Tasha's experience and the clients that she works with what she really has seen and what she knows are the common trends in workplaces around confidence and she really demystifies a bunch of stuff for us as well as giving super clear and tangible mindset shifts and some practical tools and strategies that you can kind of implement right away to feel a bit more confident in the workplace, to feel like you know yourself better, and to be able to have more of those beautiful, courageous conversations where you're really taking personal ownership and leading your journey of your life. 
It's a really freaking cool conversation and I'm really excited to bring it to you. So let's welcome on Tash. So Tash, tell us why you're the perfect person and expert to answer this question. Oh, well, I'm going to say probably not the perfect person. I'm I'm a good fit person or probably one of the best people. This will be something I talk to around imposter thinking. But yes, I'm a best person to talk about this because I have a 10-year background in human resources. So I've worked in the corporate space my whole career and I've worked in a range of different environments. I've worked for core government, secondary government, consulting firms, membership organizations, health, education, worked in lots of different environments. And I worked my way up from HR coordinator to people and performance manager before I started my own HR consulting company and now my coaching practice. And so now I coach leaders and established professionals, people who are feeling that imposter thinking, feeling that self-doubt, feeling quite overwhelmed, feeling burnt out, or at least on the road to burnout to help them kind of step back into their personal power, step into their personal confidence, recognize their value, and just step up and lead with more clarity, confidence, and energy. And a lot of that has been developed from my own experience. So, you know, I've been through all of those things. I've been through the constant vicious cycles of self-doubt, feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like you don't have anything to add, mimicking other people, you know, so kind of looking externally and being like, oh, well, they're successful, or I should do those things, or... I need to be more like that. And, you know, I've been down the road of burnout a couple of times in my career and just never recognized the signs, never recognized all of those little signs because our society doesn't pay heed to them, right? Like we just got to keep being busy. We've got to keep moving forward. We've got to keep doing the things. And so I'm my mission is to challenge the way things are being done, to challenge corporates or just companies that it can be different. You know, we can be more intentional, we can be more strategic with the way that we show up, with the way that we work, we can be more authentic and that will actually make us more productive, more efficient, more successful. So yeah, I'm really here to shake things up and that's probably why I, you know, jumped around in my career quite a lot because I never quite fit in. I never quite, I was never just the diligent person that just did the thing because they were told to do the thing. I was the, but why, but why should we, why can't we do it like this? But why are we doing it like this? But we've doing this for ages and yeah, it, it just never quite settled. <laughs> so the fact that I'm external now and I can be that, that disruptor, I can be that challenger, I can be that questioner to people in the way that they think, the way that they show up and can be that with organizations, with the way that they support their people, definitely fits me a lot more. It definitely my zone of genius for sure. So totally. that's, yeah, so that's my, my, my story. And, uh, I'm a mum of a 20 month old toddler. So that is just a whole other thing to, to learn and develop confidence in. So yeah, that's a little bit about my journey and why I talk about these things. So I'm that's happy to come and share them with you. That's amazing. And I so love that word that you said there, disruptor. And you are, if you guys don't follow Tash on social media, she is such a disruptor in this space of corporate work and well-being and feeling confident and feeling like you deserve to be able to speak up at work. And I think one of the big reasons why I wanted to get you on Tash was because in my early 20s, I spent some time working in corporate. And I reflect back to that time and there were so many times where I was sat in a meeting room where 
all of this BS was happening around me. And I had this little part of me that sounds a bit like you, Tash, where you're like, but why, why, why? I had that part of me, but yet I couldn't speak up. I couldn't, I didn't feel like I had a right to say what I wanted to say or to put my two cents in. And there were always these thoughts coming out that I'm too young, I'm too inexperienced, nobody's going to listen to me, I'm going to sound stupid if I say something, people are going to think that I'm trying to take up too much attention. And then when I did finally find the courage to say something, it would usually be more from like a place of I've had, I've, I like emotionally triggered, like I've had enough. Mm -hmm. I'm, and I, it would end up more like an emotional outburst rather than like the calm, confident, communicative, you know, clear and concise way that I envisioned it. Instead, I ended up kind of acting out almost. And I really felt my, my inner child kind of come through in a sense. Can you tell us about that? And, and I also am loving to just normalize the fact that Tash does this for a living. You've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of people who are working in corporate spaces and not feeling so confident. And if that's you at home listening, you are not alone. I think we have this idea that when we go to work, when we leave university and go into any sort of job, especially in corporate, that we're kind of just meant to have all our shit together, that we're meant to know how an office works and how everything runs and how meetings work and how speaking up works. And they don't really teach you that at university. They teach you all the other stuff that, you know, bloody statistics and what whatnot and Google Analytics that you probably don't use like I did. Um, but they don't teach you how to be this confident, respected person in the workplace. Can you tell us mm. more about what you see in your clients and what supports them? Yeah, it's, you're, you're so right. Like everything that you just said is is so right. And that is probably one of the biggest fundamental flaws we have in our system right now, where especially people who go to university first, you know, they go and spend three to four years at university, if not more. And then they're just kind of thrown into this corporate culture or this professional culture where you're just like, yeah, you got a job, like go forth and like what like I maybe went to all of my lectures now I'm like supposed to just like show up nine to five Monday to Friday and then still have a life outside of that like how is that even possible and this is like one of the like that is one of the fundamental flaws and this is what then sets up that life of overwhelm that life of self-doubt that life of burnout because from the beginning we are thrown into the space that is foreign it's different you know even if you didn't go to university but you worked in retail or you worked in hospitality like it is different to going into a corporate professional culture where it's nine to five Monday to Friday and all of a sudden you're thrown into like expectations and you know performance reviews and all of this stuff that's like far more rigid or you know institutionalized or structured or whatever and you know and then we start like that cycle of who am I who do I need to be I don't know so I just start mimicking and that's absolutely what I saw. That's what I experienced. And that's why I looked externally of like, okay, well, who do I need to be in order to be successful? And that's kind of one of the first things that shows up is the lack of self-connection, like that lack of authenticity where people, you know, five, 10 years down the track and they're like, why am I so unhappy? Like, why am I so disconnected from my life, from what I'm doing, from my colleagues? And then you start kind of doing that work and you're like, because I'm not 
I don't even know who I am or I don't even know how to show up as that person. And then you've got everything that exacerbates on top of that, of that lack of self-value, that lack of self-recognition, you know, uh, that lack of uh, self-advocacy, you know, what you talked about, like being able to like say what you want to say and ask for what you want. Yeah. And so though like time management, this was like, I have this real vivid memory that just is popping into my mind right now. Must have been like maybe my like fourth or fifth day of, of my first big corporate marketing job. And I remember sitting down and they like kind of gave me like, oh, here's kind of what you need to do. And I just like remember trying to like write a paper to do list and being like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I literally don't know how to do this. I have no fucking clue. I can't ask because that will make me look stupid. And I remember just sitting there and like being like, I'm literally just going to have to count out the clock till five o'clock and um, hope for the best, you know? And I was like, yeah, fuck am I doing? And that's like one of the biggest problems as well. It's like there's such a lack of clarity of objectives, of outcomes, of results. Like there's no strategic thinking that happens or a very big lack or there's a disconnection. And so then people don't actually know what's required of them. And, you know, there are some managers who are like, oh, but I don't want to be too structured. Like I don't want to be too micromanagey. And so they kind of take that laissez-faire approach where it's like, oh, like you'll figure it out. But actually... We need, like the brain needs structure, like the brain needs clarity. The brain needs to know what it is meant to be doing, the time it has to do it, what success looks like, like what what's the result that you're looking for? Because otherwise the brain will just, it'll either procrastinate, it'll become paralyzed, or it'll go into perfectionism of, I need to make it so perfect. And then you just don't do anything either. So then you perpetuate this like no results, no achievement, which then perpetuates I'm not good enough and like this self doubt and you know all of those things. Yeah. So right, like I'm in. Yeah. I feel like I felt like I was flailing like a little fishy, and I was like, cool. Every single you know thought, negative thought or belief I had about myself is coming true in this moment. I am a failure. I am an idiot. I am just this stupid young girl who somehow landed this job that she's not qualified for. And I remember just being so fearful. I remember walking into work every day and I had one particular colleague who was a little bit scary, if I'm honest. And I was so petrified of them. I was so scared to ask them questions and they were were the person that I should have been asking questions to. So Taj, what you're kind of saying is that there's a really big gap in our education system. And then there's an even bigger gap almost when you get to work in terms of managers approaching it in different ways. You know, some being like, oh, I don't want to be too micromanagey and some being really, because I know other people have had the complete opposite experience of me and gone through like a four to six week training where they've had everything mapped out for them and they've been really well set up. But not everyone does that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like the inconsistency is what's the problem. And I guess this is like, if we want to get really practical about what your listeners can do to kind of step into that personal power, because like, this is the other thing, right? Like I could sit here and bag on the corporate culture and, you know, all of the things that aren't working, all the things that need to change, you know, but we're talking about a very institutionalized structure of how things are, or just even the inconsistency of how things are done. Like some organizations do it really well, some don't. It's kind of luck of the draw of like kind of what you get and what you look for when you interview. So yes, all of those things are true. And then there's, you know, 
I think both can be true. There can be really, really, really shit experiences and there can be really, really, really amazing experiences and there can also be this spectrum of in-between of like, it's kind of neither here nor there, right? But how we kind of step back into that personal power is a few things. So one is getting to know yourself, like what, how do you function as your best? You know, like how do you work at your best? What is the kind of environment? What are the, what's the kind of clarity? What's the kind of expectations you need to be able to perform at your highest, right? To be able to form at your best. What I see too often is the victim mentality kind of creeping in of like, oh, but my manager didn't and oh, but this wasn't there and oh, but this like, okay, yes, there is responsibility there. Where are you taking responsibility? Where are you taking responsibility of what it is that you know will bring out the best in you? So that, because the clearer you are of what it looks like, of how you like to be managed, how you like to be led, how you like feedback being given to you, how you process things, where your strengths are, where your gaps are, you know, where you know your your blocks are. So, you know, I know, like, so I coach and train on giving and receiving feedback and it's one of my cruxes. It's one of the things that makes me feel extremely vulnerable. And I know that and I talk about it. You know, I just hired a team member into my business and I told her, I was like, I want you to give me feedback and I probably will instantly shut down before I process. And I want you to know that because that's just what's going to happen. And I'm working on it and I'm trying to get better. But I took that, I've taken control of that, right? So we're... The more that you know about yourself, the more that you know what helps you to be your best, the, the simpler it becomes to articulate that, the simpler it becomes to ask for it. And I say simple, not easy, because it be, just because something is simple doesn't mean that it's easy to do, right? Hey. But what happens is, is that especially when clients come to work with me, they're like this, 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 and there's like lots of like offloading and cathartic chat which is obviously needed but what I kind of often find at the bottom of it is the the lack of self-ownership the lack of self-accountability of like well what are you doing <laughs> what are you asking for you know rather than waiting and and so what makes it hard for us to have great conversations what makes it hard for us to ask for what we do is because we don't actually know what it is because we can't actually articulate what it really is that we need and so then it feels muddled and we get really emotional and we get caught up in the emotions of it rather than the factuality of it you know and yeah. like look, me getting caught up in my emotions excuse me look i know i talk about emotions it's part of my empowerment framework emotions yeah. mindset and action like that's my framework and we are not dismissing emotion we're understanding emotion and we're understanding why that emotion is coming up and it's usually because there is something disconnected there is a disconnection between what it is that we want or need and the emotional response that we're having mm. and when we when we try to move forward without understanding what that disconnection is that's when we start to become reactive right like as you were there's the story you were telling right like well i want to share ideas i know that what i have is of value but so-and-so talks too much and this, that, and this happens and no one listens to these ideas. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, but it's like, you could have talked about that five meetings ago if you actually really understood what it really was that you needed, you know, or how you wanted that to be dealt with so that you could go, hey, I feel uncomfortable raising my hand, 
but I have value to share. So what is a way that I could do that, that I could still get my point across? And I think this comes back to that second piece of recognizing that what your best is or how you best shot isn't going to be the same as someone else. You know, especially for people who are more introverted in nature, who are quiet thinkers, who are, you know, who are internal processes, they're not this, they just can't show up the same as someone who verb, who word vomits every thought in their head to try and process an idea in a meeting, which is, you know, sometimes more of those extroverted thinkers, but neither is more powerful than the other. It's just which one gets given the most space, right? But you can ask for that space if you see the value of what you bring. And that's the second point is, recognizing that you have value it doesn't matter your age your level of experience what you have or haven't done everyone has value to share and the teams and the people that will get the most from that value are the people that have learning and curious mindsets where they know that they don't know everything and that everyone has something to offer (laughs) yes and I I've met some of those people in the corporate space and I've probably also met the opposite of those people in the corporate space too. And both it, can be true. Everything can just exist. Absolutely. And Tash, what I really want to bring up here, a little bit of a nitty gritty thing is that word shame, because you spoke a lot about taking personal responsibility and about kind of slipping into that victim energy. And I really, reflecting on my experience now, I really see how that um, complainer energy was really present in my workplace. Like when I slipped into it, or when I started into the workplace, you know, I came in with, you know, guns blazing, being like, I'm going to be a change maker. Yay, you know. And then kind of slowly but surely, I began to feel a little bit more powerless. I began to kind of listen and do that kind of venting thing that I would go into the break room and there'd be three people venting about what you said there perfectly. You know, one of those more extroverted people who just speaks up in meetings and doesn't really give a crap and, you know, doesn't even question if they have value and doesn't have to rehearse everything inside their head. Whereas I need to rehearse. If I'm scared, I'm rehearsing what I need to say inside my head and I need time to get it out. Um, And I remember getting to the stage probably maybe six months in where I pretty much just gave up and sank more into, okay, I'm just going to be part of this kind of complaining, venting culture. And this is just how this workplace is. And we just get to blame the system and we get to say it's broken. And that's that, you know, and then I'll go find a new job. And then, you know, we'll, we'll hope things will be better then. And it was, there was positives and negatives to that. The positive was I felt like I'd found my people and I felt like I had a place where I did have a voice, you know, in our little gossip circles or complaining circles. We used to have complaining Mondays, you know. Um, I felt like I had. (laughs) Very healthy, yeah. That was really nice because I was almost surrounded by people who were a bit more like me who struggled to speak up and who struggled to see their own worth and their own value. So we got to kind of be in that space. And then sometimes what would happen really beautifully in those spaces is people would pump each other up and go, that's a really freaking good idea, like, and help build a bit of self-belief. But it could also turn a bit toxic, you know, like, and I feel like the longer it went on, the more toxic it became. And if I'm honest, yeah, the more the more the bright, shiny, I can make change in my in my workplace light started to dim. 
And I started to kind of go, oh, well, this is just how it is. And, you know, I'm just mm -hmm. part of, I'm just a part of the system and I'm, a, you know, I'm a pawn in a game and, you know, all those sorts of things. But what was coming up for me when you were talking about personal, personal responsibility was this massive sense of shame. Like I could really just feel it. They're going, oh, shit, like, was that my fault, you know? And I feel like there was, for me, shame was very present in, in my career because of the fact that I was so scared to speak up and I was always thinking I did something wrong. But taking personal responsibility, I think we have to be careful about it sometimes is because it can bring about a lot of shame, you know? Whereas I know that, Tash, your lens is self-responsibility and self-leadership is almost about empowerment. Can you tell us how we can shift more into that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to just also really disclose here that in many cases, like our structures are oppressive you know like there are a lot of hurdles especially for women that we are still trying to dismantle and trying to overturn and trying to change I'm not saying that those things are not present and that they're not real we still have a choice of how much we we get limited by them at least in the sense of if it is very oppressive where we are where are the options we have to either move on or do something different or challenge you know that may feel different for different people depending on what so that's a disclaimer there and I think this speaks to your point on you know shame it's self-responsibility isn't taking it's about taking responsibility for what's within your control it's not taking responsibility for what's outside of your control where we get caught up in toxic self-responsibility I would say unhealthy self-responsibility is we make it our fault that the system's broken we make it our fault that you know the patriarchy exists we make it our fault that everyone else in the organization is unhappy like we carry responsibility that's actually not ours and that if we can't change it or if we can't do anything differently we start spiraling into that shame of i'm now bad and i'm now of no value i'm now this whereas you know self-responsibility and self-ownership is about what do i have control over and then what can i change with that that is what it is you know so it's we think so empowering yeah it's like just a really empowering feeling yeah right? what you know in my control yeah and there's only three things that we can control our thoughts our feelings and our actions that's it that is it we cannot control anything else so if you think about your current situation anybody listening if you think about your current situation really get brutally honest with yourself like audit your kind of mental load right now how much of your mental load is falls within your control within your thoughts your feelings and actions that you are perpetuating that you are doing not that other people are doing or not doing you know and ask like okay well what of those thoughts what of those thoughts feelings and actions are helping me to feel the way that I want to feel helping me to be the person I want to be that's helping me to have the experience that I want to have that's within my control and then ask like which ones am I doing something about which ones am I taking action on and then how much of my mental load how much of the guilt and the shame and the baggage and the blah blah is actually stuff that you have no control over sure you might have some level of influence you know like 
if you think about, uh, you know, your complaining Mondays, like at some point there is catharsis in there that can be really healthy, right? Like we're offloading, we're transferring the energy from the body through complaining, talking, right? <laughs> you, you know, in those moments, an influencing tactic could have been, okay, we've spent 30 minutes venting and complaining. What are we doing about it now? Mm. Like we've let it all out. What's, what's one action everyone's taking away to shift them where they are to where they want to be. That's a level of influence, right? You can't control whether those people are going to go and do anything, but you have taken a step to influence a potential shift in that experience, right? Whether they do that or not is not within your control. When you start to go, oh, they're still unhappy. That's my fault because I didn't do enough. I didn't do this. Like, that's carrying a mental load of something that's not yours, right? And so when I talk about self-responsibility, I'm talking only about what's within your control and whether or not you're doing something about that, whether or not you are doing something for that to be different. Because I think what happens is is the victim mentality is we're fixating too much on the external. We're, we're fixating too much on the things that we can't control. And that's why we feel powerless. We can't control the extroverted person in that meeting who keeps talking up. What we can control is either going and talking to them and saying, hey, I, like, I really struggle to get a word in because you take up a lot of space in the meeting. I was wondering if we can like just have turns at talking or going to the the leader of the meeting and saying, hey, like I have lots of ideas that I'd like to share, but I'm finding it really challenging to have time to talk. Can we look at changing the structure of the meeting? That's self-ownership. That's acknowledging what you want, what you need and influencing or doing something that's within your control, like talking to them and requesting for that to be different. If they say no, or if that doesn't change, what's within your control? Deciding of do you want to bring it up again? Do you want to, uh, what's the word? Uh, oh, escalate it. Yeah. Escalate it. Yeah. yeah. Like escalate it, you know, to, to the next level. Or is this, you know, what this toxic, like this toxic, this culture is not conducive it, to who I am. It's not conducive to recognizing the value that I bring. I'm going to look elsewhere. Mm. You know, that's, that's what I mean here. It's. So much of the shame that we create is because we're fixating on the things that we can't control and don't control. And they're things that we're trying to change, which we may be able to influence, but ultimately we can't control. <laughs> that's so true. And I love what you said there, like complaining and having complaining Mondays, if that's still a thing, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but just that little shift at the end being like, cool, what are we going to do about it? It reminds me of, you know, when you're bitching about your partner to your to your girlfriends or something, and then you've got to be like, okay, I actually have to do something about this. I can't just keep complaining, you know? Um, I actually have to take action. But Tash, my question is, when you were saying all these amazing things, like, you know, go and talk to the, the, the manager who organizes the meetings or go and approach this person, I started sweating. What do we do if we're scared? I am someone that still really struggles with confrontation. And... I have been able to do confrontation in the past, but I got to be honest, it probably takes me a solid three weeks to prepare myself mentally, physically, spiritually to be able to actually have these conversations. What do we do if we're scared? What do we do? 
Oh, I feel yeah. I again yeah. coach and teach courageous conversations, and when I have to have them, I'm like, can I not? I would yeah. love to not. Because you see it so like you said it so confidently, and I was like, well, okay, well, it's one thing to say it here on a podcast, where it's not absolutely. But it, I think it's those emotions are so heightened, aren't they, in that moment? So there's a couple of things here. So firstly, I'd love to offer a mindset shift. You immediately went to confrontation. You immediately assumed that that is a prime for battle. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're already creating the the intention that that whole interaction is a confrontation with someone. And this is something I say to to people. Can we instead think about it as a con? section we're not trying to confront people we're trying to have a conversation with them if you like if you just take a moment and kind of just check in with your body that just instantly feels different from an energetic perspective it's so different you like i'm going into battle when i for some reason when i was thinking about that i was like oh shit better get my armor on you know better protect Mm -hmm. myself and I think that's where it comes from. Eh? It comes from that that desire to protect ourselves from absolutely. From and sometimes your brain goes there quite quickly. But that's amazing just to have. If everyone can sit here at home and listen to the difference in the energy of the word confrontation versus conversation, that's absolutely. very different. Yeah. I like that. And it's the same thing when people, and this is why I use the language courageous conversation instead of difficult or hard, because again, you're setting the intention that this conversation is going to be difficult, that it's going to be hard to talk to this person. Language matters, like language matters in the way that we set things up. You know, like everyone knows it's like, hey, I have feedback for you. Everyone just immediately goes, huh? like <laughs> shields up, don't want to hear it. Whereas like, hey, I'd love to just give you some observations. Totally different totally different energy right so a couple of things so number one is that mindset shift of hey I'm having a conversation with someone the courageous part is you know as Brene Brown talks about like courage is moving through fear right like vulnerability is we we're emotionally exposed and we don't know how it's going to be received we don't know how it's going to go and that's what courageous conversations are right we're about to go talk to this person share a vulnerability that we're experiencing and we don't know how they're going to receive it. We don't know what they're going to say. And that's the courage. It's recognizing that fear, recognizing that discomfort and going, I know for myself, I need to do it anyway. I need to lean in and have this conversation anyway. So kind of first recognizing that you're going to have the fear and that's actually normal. Like that's actually just a normal part of being a human being and going and sharing a vulnerability with someone else. And if we try and if we wait until that's gone, that means that we no longer care. If that feeling is no is no longer there, it means that we don't care anymore, which means that it's too far gone to have the conversation. So the steps that I that I walk people through around preparing is first understand why you need to have this conversation. So, you know, why is it important to talk about this? Why is it important to raise this point with someone? You know, often People will be like, I need to have this, I need to have this conversation with them. And I and I kind of take them through the steps. And then, you know, half the time they realize, like, oh, this is actually just a conversation I need to have with myself because I I misconstrued what I experienced. And so I was just in my head a different time. Yes. It's actually happening. And I might yes. potentially a bit triggered. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, Brene Brown again says, you know, the story I'm telling myself is. Um, and so really kind of just getting clear on your why, like, why do I need to have this conversation? And that just gives you the time to actually process 
what it is you saw, what it is you observed, what it is you feel, what it, you know, all of those things. And then the second thing is like kind of get to grips with your emotional state, like emotionally regulate yourself. And I'm not saying remove emotion because as soon as we remove emotion, we're no longer in humanity of this conversation. We're no longer bringing that side of ourselves, but get yourself into a point where you can have this conversation without having an emotional outburst at the same time, you know, where we're not being like, you did this and well, you know, we're like, we're going to start finger out, you know, yeah, it's <laughs> like you, uh, you know, just like get the emotions in check, like just process your own emotional reaction. Like, what are you feeling? What are the emotions that are coming up? Why do you think that that's coming up? Like the more that you can understand the why and your own state, the easier it's going to be to then articulate it. And this comes to my point earlier in this conversation, right? The reason we don't want to talk about things or don't really have these conversations is because we don't actually know the detail of it. We aren't clear. The third thing is check your ego. Ego has no place in courageous conversations. Do you know what's funny though? Sometimes, sometimes I feel like a teeny tiny bit of my ego sometimes helps me to be a little bit more courageous. Not to the point that it's detrimental, you know, but sometimes for me, sometimes my ego actually helps to remind me, hey, what you say matters and how you feel matters. You know, sometimes that it gives me a bit of courage sometimes, but I see what you mean about, you know, you really do need to check your ego at the door and not take it Yeah, like, you know, I think I would just challenge that. Like, is that your ego or is that actually your higher self? Is that your higher self saying you have value and you have, you have the, you are deserving of having this conversation. Ego is the external face of yourself, right? It's, it's, it's the thing that's trying to be right. And that's why I'm saying when you check your ego, like you are trying to validate and prove and justify and exert like that's what the ego is trying to do in those conversations the ego isn't hey let's be willing to have a conversation and like I really want to hear what you have to say and I potentially have to change my mind like that's not the ego um so I would challenge that and say like how can we see that from our higher self like how can we see that from the heart of I have value that's the reason I need to have this conversation and here that's the reason I'm having this conversation. And ego is the thing that stands in the way because we're trying to be right. And we are very rarely able to listen and to truly understand when our ego is present. Even if it's just a slither, that slither will just increase in magnitude as soon as that person said something that you maybe do not, that you maybe not agree with you know totally that's why the ego can't be present yes I even felt my ego right there Tash when you said I'd like to challenge that and I instantly went let me whip myself and tell you how I'm right and you're wrong you know that's what it does yeah and it it has take me a moment to just say hey like she's not personally attacking you you know it's okay um and what someone actually said to me once was they said if you're ever in an argument with someone ask them what would it take for you to see that you're wrong? To ask them that question. And that almost feels like a bit of an ego checking question. Like if they can say to you, oh, well, if you can show me that this data exists or if you can do this for me, then obviously, okay, there's a different perspective I haven't encountered or I can't see right now. But I feel like that's a really good way to check. Like, could anyone at this point in time show me any information that would actually make me go, oh, yeah, actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I'm not, you know, and 
Oscar Tromboli, he's a listening coach, his famous line that I love, I love, 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 and deeply listening is one of the key things in courageous conversations. Deeply listening is the willingness to have your mind changed. If you are truly listening to someone, you are willing to have your mind changed. It doesn't mean that your mind will change. It doesn't mean that your mind has to change, but you are willing for it to be changed. And that's what you need when you go into having a courageous conversation with someone. Because if we use the example of the person who takes up all the space needing, who doesn't seem to care about anyone else's opinion, the assumption we make is that they don't care. The assumption we make is that they are dominant. The assumption that we make is that they are center of attention, arrogant, whatever else, right? That's the ego making assumptions. And assumptions happen when we don't have all of the information. The brain can't handle that. So we make up stories, right? The story I'm telling myself is that this person doesn't care. But when you go and have a conversation with someone, you need to tell yourself, you need to remind yourself that you do not know anything. You only know your observation. You do not know anything else. You don't know what's going on inside that person's mind. You don't know if they're actually experiencing an incredible amount of self-doubt and this is their way of, like, this is their armor. <laughs> their armor is their, like, their, their over-talking, their taking up lots of space is actually a protective mechanism so that people don't know that they struggle with self-doubt or whatever. You know, you don't know whether they've got something going on at home. And so that willingness to have your mind changed is what's so critical and your ego does not want your mind to change your mm -hmm. ego is adamant that it is right that's why we need to check it and the key question is am i willing to have my mind changed when i talk to this person if the answer is no then i'm not ready to have the conversation then either i'm not clearer on i'm not clear on what it is that i need or i actually don't have enough capacity to truly listen to this person and for my mind to be changed that. And so, oh, what a good, what a great little tool to have in your toolbox. And this even applies to any conversation that you're any having. Any conversation. Anyone, right. It doesn't need to be in work. It could be in relationships too. Any. Just being like, am I actually in the energy of that willingness? Am I willing to listen? Am I willing to have my mind changed? Or am I kind of coming in with, you know, it's my way or the highway. I must be correct. And I'm here to almost tell you off and prove my point and have you see my point of view. That's such a cool little tool that we can all use, I think. Um, and Tasha, I want to just quickly flip and change gears for our last five minutes. Because everyone, I'm trying really, really hard to cap my podcast at 45 minutes. Like, when I love talking. When I love talking. Yeah. Um, but Tasha, I want to go back to when we were talking about taking that self-responsibility and basically being able to be confidently thriving at work. You mentioned that a lot of it was essentially about self-exploration and really understanding what feedback style you like, how you work best, what manage, managerial style you like, what you need in your workspace, how you communicate best, how you learn, all that sort of stuff. And that one, I'm like, damn, I really hope in universities they're going to add just that little tidbit on because that would be freaking awesome. Right? Hey, hey, I've got things in the works. I know. I'm making it a mission. I love it. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about how maybe we can do that at home or ourselves or any yeah. things that you recommend? So essentially the first thing is, is decide who you want to be right this is this is irrelevant of your job your career this is irrelevant of anything else this is 
an intentional exploration of yourself and asking who do I want to be and how do I want to show up you get to decide that no one gets to decide that for you but ultimately what happens is we let we make the world decide for us because we're not intentionally deciding that for ourselves so that's kind of when we can mimic because you said mimicking yes yes that's and we can easily eh? exactly yeah when we're unsure of ourselves we you know instagram tiktok yeah (laughs) social media is making this worse you know when we are unsure of who we are we immediately be like oh i should be more like them or i should be more like them or you know and we dilute we dilute ourselves so even as coaches i'm sure you resonate to us oh yeah like everyone else exactly I was having a conversation the other day with another coach and we were talking about how easy it is to just try and be like someone else. And it comes from that place of going, shit, like I actually don't know who I am and I'm not confident in who I am in this particular role in my life, you know? And that's what I think the work you do is about. Yeah, well, I'd also challenge that of like, it, it maybe isn't inherently, I don't know who I am. Like when we start to kind of compare, it may not be that we are like, are like unsure it may be that we don't recognize our own value. So the second part is like get clear on who you want to be and how you want to show up and then practice the, like create a practice of self-recognition, of of valuing yourself. So in New Zealand and Australia, we are deprogrammed for any kind of self-recognition, self-acknowledgement because it's tall poppy and you've got to get a big head and it's arrogant and all the other bullshit that gets into our brains in new zealand we call it tall poppy syndrome yes in australia is the same anywhere else in the world but australia and new zealand yeah exactly and um but what we need to do is we need to recognize our values so reflect on what's brought you to this point like what are all of the things that you've done that you've learned that you've experimented with that you've cultivated across your life that's brought you to this point you know, so often people feel so unsuccessful. They feel so worthless and, you know, all of those things because they they are not priming their brain to look at all of the things that brought them to this point. You know, like you didn't just end up here by accident. It's all the decisions you made, whether they were hard or maybe you didn't like them at the time, they brought you to this point. And there are a lot of strengths in there. There is a lot of value in there that if you take the time to recognize them, you can articulate that into power strengths that you can take into your job, into your career, into building a business, whatever. And creating that practice, like I don't, maybe we can show this as part of a video snippet, but I have a wins jar and this is my mission that every person I come into contact with creates their own wins jar. This sits on my desk. It's just an old pickle jar that I've cleaned out and every Friday I've got it in my calendar that I do my wins reflection. And my wins are anything that I've moved through, that I've done, that I've achieved, that I've just want to recognize and remember or be proud of myself for. And they're not necessarily things that I've ticked off or things that I've achieved. It could be, you know, I had a challenging moment with my son and I moved through it without dysregulating you know I'm really proud of that and that may seem so insignificant and may seem not related to my job but it is the more regulated I can be as a coach the more powerful I can be as a coach right so I can I I can cross articulate that into something of value in the work that I do and so the more that I do that the more that I 
value myself, the more that I recognize my strengths. And then when I have those moments of self-doubt, because I still do, you know, so many people say to me like, oh, you must be so confident and you seem so confident because I've got the podcast and I speak at conferences and all this stuff. Like, I still have self-doubt. Every time I get onto a group coaching call, I freak out. I wonder if it's going to be any good. But I look at that jar and I tell myself, if I can do all of those things, I can do this thing. And that's what it means to recognize value, that like your own value. And I talk about value, not worth, because worth is innate, worth is priceless, worth is not related to what you do or anything like that. Value is about recognizing your skills, your experience, your strengths, what you bring to the table, and then knowing how to articulate that. And so that's what I would say is decide who you want to be and how you want to show up and practice recognizing your value practice create a practice of self-reflection self-recognition even if it feels uncomfortable that probably means you need to do it and just make it make it a consistent practice that you do week on week on week I love that and I love the winds jar it is such a cool exercise to do so I hope that everyone at home creates that jar for themselves to help them Say you on Instagram if you do, on LinkedIn or Instagram. Take me, <laughs> let me know. Yeah. And um, yeah, because it takes a lot sometimes. I feel like our brains can often be geared towards what we don't have or towards the skills that we don't possess or the experience we don't possess. We know that our brains do tend to shift more towards that negativity mm-hmm. and it can take a while to... And it can be really helpful to actually sort of aid in reprogramming your brain to see more of what you do well and to almost train your brain to go, actually, I do have value. I can see all these amazing Mm -hmm. things. It's like, you know, gratitude lists. When you, you know, every night before you go to bed and you list off things you're grateful for, every day it usually becomes easier and you train your brain to be in that space. And I think that's the wins jar is such a great exercise to do that. And when Mm -hmm. you can see your value, I wonder how that might go then when you're sitting in that meeting room and you have something that you really want to say and you get to then have your brain go, oh, remember the winds jar? We're actually really, really skilled and we have expertise and we've done well and I'm proud of you. And when you have that internal voice as you're sitting there trying to do something courageous, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? It really Absolutely. And even you can go one step further and be like, if I raise my hand and share my idea, that's another post that I can <laughs> Now you're winning the game. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. And Tash, the other thing we spoke about was really sort of, we spoke about mimicking. And then you kind of spoke about getting to know yourself and deciding who you want to be, which I love. And there is an awesome energy of mimicking that we can kind of use to our advantage because our brains love to do that. But when we, like even you, like me, looking at you like you were such a mentor to me and you're still someone I so look up to I always even in this conversation I'm going oh I love you know how she's saying this I love her approach to this I love how she's challenged you know see those words about challenging me I love the perspectives and the mindset shifts she's brought in my head I'm kind of going wow these are the things that I really admire within Tash within you and almost going oh I think I I think I might see what that's like to to become more of that you know to become more confident, more, I was about to say more Tash-like, but no, I'm going to say more Kathleen-like, but with some of the beautiful elements. And I think that can give us an idea because we admire a lot of people, right? Especially on social media, we have our favorite people to watch and things like that. And even in, in the workplace, 
I remember there were some people I really looked up to. And it wasn't necessarily that they were the biggest managers or that they were the, you know, the most numeratively successful. It was just something in the way that they approached their work, the people and their life. And I was like, damn, like I really admire that their energy almost, you know, their calmness and their willingness to listen. And that was really helpful for me. I remember going, oh, okay, I think that's more what I want to be like. I don't, and that gave me an idea of who I wanted to become, you know, is that something unhelpful? Oh, absolutely. So the way that I differentiate that is, is what I'm seeing, is what I'm admiring, is what I'm looking up to expansive? Is it adding more to myself? Is it enhancing the way that I see myself or what I'm capable of doing or what's possible for me? Or is it making me question who I am? That's the difference. The comparison. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's human psychology to compare because it's how we know where we fit within social structures. It's how we know how we fit within social groups. You know, we are tribal beings. We like it is inherent in us to compare. What we want to be mindful of is is what we're comparing expensive. So is it helping to elevate us? Is it helping to call us forward? Is it helping to see what's possible? Is it creating options? Is it creating opportunities? Or is it something that is becoming a detractor it's making us question it's 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 festering self-doubt as in oh I'm not good enough because I'm not like that versus I love how she shows up like that I wonder how I could I could pull myself forward to showcase myself like that you know there's a very different energy there and there's a very different intention behind the way that we look at the mimicking and mimicking is inherently not healthy because we are like for like doing the same thing without inte- like conscious intention of is what I'm doing helping me. So if I look at my son, he's mimicking now because we like that's the only way he learns. He has no other capacity right now to learn. So that's how kids learn. They mimic, right? They He's mimicking what we say and what we do, like, you know, like even brushing your teeth, like if I kneel down, so I'm at his level, he'll then kneel down. And I'm like, no, I'm just like trying to be the same as you. But that's how he's learning. And so for him, that is expansive, right? Because it's it's widening his his knowledge of the world. It's widening what he can now do. And that's something that we just need to be intentionally conscious of is, is the way that we're mimicking or comparing something that's expansive or something that's detractive. So that's the only thing that I would add to that, you know, like, like I like look at you as well and I'm like, oh, I just, I love the way that she shows up and, you know, and the way that she talks and the way that she just tackles some topics that I just would never do. Like, I love that. And what I, what I get from that is like, okay, well, how can I be brave? Like, how can I be bold in what I talk about today? But I don't make that mean anything about me. I don't make that mean that I'm not brave or I'm not courageous or I'm, you know, shying away from things. It's like, well, no, like there are things that I just won't talk about because they're not necessary for me to talk about. But then there are things that I really want to. So how can I take the bravery and bring that into my life? So I really love that. Like I love, I think we need to look at other people like it's, but we need to look at it from replace possibility like it's showing us what is possible it's showing us expense expansion right versus i'm looking at other people to make myself feel more shit about myself like and we just need to be very conscious of that 
definitely and you always have to spin it in your own way too like again social media is a great example for me and I'm sure you resonate with this but I will go and flick through some people's posts and for some something about it will just trigger me into seeing all of my own insecurities and going oh my god I don't have that I'm such an idiot oh my god I'm not good enough and some posts I'll scroll by and go wow I love what they're doing there I feel so empowered and excited you know and I think that's kind of what you get to in your own journey of self-exploration when it comes to deciding the person that you want to become and almost you know I feel like sometimes when you see those slightly more expansive more inspirational moments when you have those with people rather than that comparison I feel like that almost it's like a little light bulb and you going "Mm, this is within me and I want to expand on that rather than oh you know this is a skill that I just don't have and it's not really authentic to me and it doesn't mean anything about me that I'm not this you know it's almost like you recognize that little part of you within another like great example when I see people posting online about body image and eating disorders that just expands the shit out of me I'm like Mm. I just I love talking about that and I want to talk about it more But then there'll be other examples, say, when people are talking about stats on social media in their business. And that automatically makes me go, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot, blah, 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 you know. And that makes me go, "Mm, I don't really feel very inspired from that. You know, it's it's not resonating with me as deeply. But I love that. So, Tash, let's recap this beautiful episode because there was so much cool stuff in here. So we had, and you fill in the gaps for me, but we had one, it was... To be more confident and to feel more thriving at work, just to play on your words of Tasha's program, Confidently Thriving, which we'll plug, um, is to really do a bit of self-exploration and to understand who you want to become, who you already are, how you can amplify the existing light and the skills within you. And then two, it's to kind of reinforce and retrain your brain to see your own value. And I guess that gives you a bit more confidence, right? So using a tool or a practice like the wins jar was so helpful. And then the third thing we covered was those, and I think we needed a whole episode on this, but was having those courageous conversations from that place of checking your ego at the door and saying, do I have the willingness to listen and to have my mind be changed and to be open and to go into it with those experiences? I feel like I've missed a lot, but those are the main points I got. No, those are the key points. And, and also just comparison as expansion, you know, and if you, if you are comparing and it makes you feel less than, I would question what you're comparing and whether it is actually of value to you. So that would be the only other thing that I would say is a wrap up. I love it. And also let's just fucking normalize fear. Yes. I'm, I'm sick yes. of this world, especially <laughs> in the confidence coaching world. Where people, you know, kind of lead you to believe that you're never going to experience fear and anxiety. And if you do, you're an idiot or you've got a limiting belief you need a bust or something. But fear and anxiety are normal experiences to have in everyday life. When we do new things, when we leave our comfort zone, heck, even when you do the same thing but something goes slightly different, that's normal for your body to, to give you those reactions. And it's okay. It doesn't mean that you any less than or that you you know you have to really work on something it's just it's a normal experience and you get to kind of use all of the tools and the skills that you have to support yourself through that without shaming yourself into it you know um Tasha's there absolutely and I would actually oh I'd actually just say you can't have confidence without self-doubt it's you know like oh, you just, that's a hard get a everyone <laughs> like, I can't have confidence without self-doubt I love that 
the difference is is what you do in the moments of self-doubt that's what actually builds confidence confidence is built through action you know so when you have those moments of self-doubt and you make the move anyway that's what builds your confidence and you can't have courage without fear like they are literally mutually inclusive things if you do not have fear you're just doing normal life you know like if there is not an element of fear present you're not being courageous you're not doing anything that's shifting the needle for you you're just doing another thing so what I say to people is when you experience moments of self-doubt or moments of fear you're at an edge and it's up to you to decide whether you take the leap or not that's all it means anything else is just a story you're adding on top of it so you can just get as simple as that imposter thinking self-doubt it means that I'm about to do something different and I'm here for it Fuck yes. Oh my God, I love that. Take the leap, everyone. What an inspiring place to end. Thank you so much, Tash. I will link everything to where you can find Tash in the show notes. Um, is there anything you want to share, Tash, briefly about programs, ways to work or connect with you? Yes. Well, I'm I'm on Instagram at Tash Peterson and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm quite quite active on LinkedIn, but Confidently Thriving is a new program that has been in development for a couple of years. It's for established professionals and emerging leaders. And I will be taking you through the five essential skills to help you confidently thrive in your career with the tools and strategies you need. So if you want to find out more about it, then we will pop the link in the show notes, but we kick off in April and it is a professional development program. So I would hundred percent strongly recommend you get PD funding from your organization and and make sure you join us because it's going to be a game changer. Hell yes. I love it. All right. Thank you so much, Tash. It may change it. Hell yes. I love it. All right. Thank you so much, Tash. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you got value and if you love the podcast, I'd really, really love if you could rate, review and comment on the podcast below. And now for the fun part. I want to hear your biggest what to do when questions. Submit your question via the link in the show notes and we could be answering your question on the next episode of this podcast. I want this podcast and the coaching and the support that goes along with it to be in the back pocket of anyone and everyone who's on their own journey of self-discovery, of growth and of healing. It can be a lonely journey and I know that support and friendship goes a long way. It would mean the world to me if you shared this episode to your social media pages or sent it to your group chat or a friend or family member in mind. And as always, I'm here to support you in so many ways, this podcast being just one of them. If you're looking for additional support in creating the life that you've always envisioned, working through your issues that you've likely been avoiding for years, this is exactly what I do. My one-to-one -one coaching program focuses on building belief in yourself. Application and information about my online workshops and one-to-one -one coaching are all in the show notes. And I'll be here when you're ready to dive into the work. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. I want you to remember that you're doing enough, you're being enough, and that you deserve good things in this life. I'll see you next Monday morning for the next episode of the What To Do When podcast.